Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, here once again with our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello. Hello. Uh, joining us today, it's Siobhan. Hey, everybody. There's Axel. Hello. DW's with us. I diddly dee. I see Samaria. Hi, guys. And there's David. I'm a doctor, not a glee man. And uh, today... We're going to have a lot of fun. I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun with this one, too. We are going to discuss the history of the Wheel of Time in-universe. So we're going to discuss the history from the breaking up until the point where the show starts. So that you guys can have a little bit of background of what's going on and have an idea of, of the background of this, this whole culture. So, history. We're going to have a lot of fun here. Um... We've got 3,000 years history to cover, so I'm just going to dive right into it, and we're going to jump in before the breaking. We're going to get in at the Age of Legends. So this is about 3,500 or so years ago is when the Age of Legends went happened. And uh, this was known as, it was a golden age of, of, of humanity. Uh, men and women both used the power together to do amazing things, um, things that, that, the people in, in the world now just can't even imagine. Um, and sometime toward the end of the age of legends, the dark one began to touch the world unbeknownst to the, to the people in the age of legends. So, so uh, was, that, was that a, was that a new thing that like, was this the first time this had happened or the first time that dark one has touched the world? Yeah. Like why um, didn't they know that to expect it? Like everyone has since. No. It is not the first time the Dark One has touched the world because, okay. as we know, the time is a flat circle and it has been going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Right. So in that same vein, did the change between age one and age two also involve a breaking of the world? I don't know. Nobody, nobody, knows. I, nobody knows. We don't know anything about the first age. So we don't know why they weren't expecting the the Dark One to show up. Maybe they got comfortable. Yeah, yeah. We, we we know that they did not have any concepts necessarily of the Dark One because he had been sealed away for so long at that point. So okay. perhaps they, they did not know the Dark One existed. Perhaps they didn't realize that what was happening. We we don't know. This is right. 3,500 years ago. Right. I mean, in in our own terms, this this is the Iron Age. This is about 500 years after the pyramids were built. Gotcha. So... What do we know from that time frame? Not, Not a whole hell of a lot. Not much. So I, I would disagree, though, because, like, you can go back to, I mean, that's kind of like, what, early, that, that's Greek. Um, and we, you could go back further into, um, like, what, like, you got Babylon and Ur way before that. Like, we can go back about 6,000 years. But, but actually, we, didn't we have also a haven't had a breaking of the yeah. world in the middle. Yeah. I'm just so like you know. Our records are still intact. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty. There's a lot that's missing, but I just want to you know, three and a half thousand years is a pretty reasonable time for uh, there to be some vague records, maybe. But then there was a Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. And even if you go with that poem that starts the books, you know, memory fades to legend, legend fades to myth, and even myth gets lost to time. So yeah. that's kind of what they're explaining here is anything yeah. that's happened in you know two three ages ago nobody knows about mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, at this point, the the previous age itself is myth and and almost forgotten. So, um, so as I was saying, the last hundred or so years of the Age of Legends, the the Dark One began to have a touch on the world, and this this paradise that they had started being less par- paradise like. Um, this is uh, known as uh, 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 this is kind of the fall of of their civilization. They, they went from being very peaceful and very together to rediscovering things like war and fighting and, and, you know, some of the darker things in life. And at some point people realize that the dark one is there and pledge themselves to the dark one. And that is when the war of the shadow begins. That kind of like, he might be evil, but I want to be on the winning side. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so did they? How long did it take them to realize it was the dark one? Or like, if things are falling apart, did they just figure, oh well, you know, things aren't things aren't perfect, but we can course correct no problem in no time. And when you know things are on a steady decline. So from the records we have, it was about a hundred to hundred and ten years past that that the dark one was kind of influencing the world and, and causing things to become that way. So over over the course of a century is kind of how we we see this civilization start to come down until it becomes obvious that the dark one is there and and there are people who are trying to free him. Um, this is when the war of the shadow is what we call it. The war of the shadow uh, begins in earnest. Um, it lasted about ten years. This is where Luz Theron Telamon picked up the name Dragon. Um, he he got the name Dragon because of of his his uh, uh, proficiency at battle. He he led the forces of the light to many great victories, and was given the title Dragon at that time for that reason. Um, to understand something in their history, were there ever dragons? Like, what is he being named after? Did they have a concept of dragons? We don't know. Okay. He's named after something called a dragon. And then uh, at the at the end of this time, uh, the dragon Luz Theron and the hundred companions. These are actually 113 uh, male channelers that he convinced to go with him go to where the Dark One is able to touch the world to attempt to seal him away again. Uh, we saw a little bit of this in the show when uh, he was, when Luz Theron and Latra Pose was were talking to each other. Um, and, you know, we, we saw him explaining this plan to her saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to take the men because you won't bring the women. And she's like, well, your plan is doomed to failure, blah, 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 blah. Well, he goes through with that plan anyway. Um, and the successfully seals away the dark one, but that counterstroke that the dark one does against Sidene, because Sidene was the only power being used to, to put him away that drove Luz Theron and the Hundred Companions mad instantly. So theirs was not, and over time, they become more mad. They became mad instantly. The Dark One is sealed away, and the breaking of the world begins. So then does that follow that if a female channeler had gone with them to this battle, it's possible that all Aes Sedai could be mad at this point? It is entirely possible. That that's one thing that that people have debated about in over time. Um so Luz Theron and the Hundred Companions go mad instantly. 
this begins the breaking and the breaking itself actually lasted from 239 to 344 years, according to records. So we'll say about 300 years was the actual time that the breaking itself took place. A long time to be in an apocalypse. Yeah. So, and, and part of that breaking, it, there's, there are a lot of parts of the breaking. Um, first of all, you, just because the Dark One is sealed away doesn't mean all the Trollocs and everything disappear. So there are still armies of Trollocs everywhere that no longer have a leader and are turning against each other, but are still pretty deadly in their own right. You've got these hundred, the hundred most powerful male channelers in the world are now completely mad and just remaking the world as they see fit. So the rest of the Aes Sedai are trying to take down those hundred male channelers, and they do in time. But that's when they also discovered that Sidene itself has been tainted, and the other male channelers are slowly going mad. So they took care of the first batch of, of male channelers who have gone mad, but that batch that took care of, the, care of the first batch is now mad and doing the same thing. Um, we've got several men realize what's going on and decide they're going to hide out in, in the, the, uh, steading, Ogier steading where they cannot touch the power. And over time, they finally just, you know, the need to be able to access Sidene is greater than their need to try to stay away from it, to save the world. And they leave the steadings and become mad and, and do the same thing. Some people think that this extended the breaking by possibly 100 years. Other people say that this may have saved the world by spreading it out and not having too much destruction in too short of a period of time. And so presumably that's also part of what led to the Aes Sedai gentling male channelers rather because they there's no way you can't put them somewhere out, out in out of harm's reach because the addiction of being able to use magic is too great. Yes. That anyone who can use magic is going to want to, they're jonesing for, and at some point it's going to get to them, and then they're going to go in, go crazy, and fuck shit up. So More that's interesting, less. too, because potentially someone who you know can channel, but hasn't channeled enough to be addicted to it, could go and live at the steading indefinitely and not have a problem. Technically, somebody who can channel could just not channel, and they would never go mad. But okay, so it's the, the addictive nature. Yeah, it, it also it's the seems act to of be. Channeling. It seems to be reflexive channeling, and so you can actively try not to channel. But if you are in, you know, a life or death kind of moment, it mm -hmm. seems like you know you're going to channel because that side of you is protecting you. So it yeah, doesn't Mer have to be, it doesn't seem to be a conscious decision all the time. Moraine says it comes to you. So I would assume that that means like kind of Samaria says that no matter what, you're going to find a situation where you're going to channel whether you're trying to or not. Well, we saw this with Rand in the door. Rand didn't know he could channel when he started breaking open the door. He's just doing yeah. it because that was the only way he could get out. Or Perrin, like I think the that wolf wolfiness is at, least partly a channeling thing and it was totally unconscious like he didn't say i'm going to power up now super science style you know he he just did it it was mm -hmm. something to protect him it was something to protect Egwene. 
Yeah, he was even scared of it at first, thinking it wasn't him doing it. And I don't think Nynaeve has done it intentionally at this point in the show either. Me neither. It's, it's very yeah. tied to strong emotions. Yeah, any situation that pulls on those emotions, you're going to channel without meaning to. Yeah. And also, there's no way that you can know that someone is a cha- a man is a channeler unless they've actually channeled. Exactly. And, and so, by the time that you could that they could go somewhere out of harm's reach, they've already had their first hit. Very much so. Uh, so at this point, we're at the end of the breaking of the world. Uh, they the the female channelers at this point have have pretty much taken care of all the male channelers. And, and are, you know, taking out new ones as they pop up. Cause of course you're not going to just stop male channelers from, from being in the, in the culture. Um, but you know, the, the male channelers running around completely mad and destroying the world is finally at an end. They finally get them all under control and humanity and, and the Ogier are pretty much on the edge of extinction. We're talking like a few thousand of each left at most. So you were saying we, we do have records from more than 3,500 years ago. Well, we didn't go through that. Yep. So that kind of answers one of my questions because there's so many scenes where they're walking around out in the middle of nowhere and there are no people and there are no towns. It explains why everybody's mm-hmm. so spread out. Yeah. And and you're about to find as we go through this history that uh, we've, we've had a few more major major population decreases in the meantime as well so um let's see so now we're into a new calendar uh they the after the breaking they started a calendar called after the breaking ab so in the year 47 ab uh this is when tarvalon uh was founded and the white tower came together as we know it now the ajas that we know now were essentially the various groups of Aes Sedai who had come together after the breaking. Um, During the breaking, obviously, the Aes Sedai, just like everything else in the world, had shattered. So afterwards, there were, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of groups of people claiming to be the real Aes Sedai. So they all came together, kind of had a, a conference, and the seven largest groups kind of absorbed the others and became the Ajahs and then became the Aes Sedai as we know them today. I wonder if at that time there was an actual Tamerlan seat and the Amerlin seat replaced the Tamerlan seat or something. Uh, we do know that the Amerlin is, is uh, since the breaking and the Tamerlan existed before the breaking. That We do know that much. We do not know necessarily what the role of Tamerlan is. We just know about its existence. Um, so then moving on, uh, we're now at about 200 years after the breaking, uh, the white tower is now complete and the 10 nations arise. Um, these are the first 10 nations that kind of coalesced and came together after the breaking. Um, amongst these 10 nations are Minethrin and Eridhal, which later became Shatter Logoth. The other eight nations we don't really know much about. It's, they're never really talked about, so I'm not going to get into them. Um, and just, just to uh, put this in, in perspective, this is about, if this was our own timeline, this would be about 1100 BC. Um, 
Then, at about 1000 AB, uh, Trollocs invade the Westlands, uh, just out of nowhere. They had pretty much stayed within the Blight for that thousand years after the breaking, after we had beaten them back. And, and most people did not see Trollocs anywhere. And then suddenly they came back out of the, out of the, out of the, uh, the, the blight, the blight. Thank you. Wow. My, my own brain is not working with me. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, the, the Trollocs came roaring out of the blight. The Trolloc Wars began and the Trolloc Wars last a good long time, uh, 350 years to be exact. Um, this is when this is a Shatter- significant chunk of time. Yeah, uh, this is when Shatter Logoth um, turned in on itself and and kind of disappeared from the rest of the world and kind of started falling to its its own darkness. Um, this is also when Minethrin fell. Um, in our own time frame, this would be around the time that Alexander the Great was doing his thing. Um, so uh, yeah, we know that Minethrin fell. During the Trolloc Wars, uh, they were waiting for help from Shatter Logoth, which never came. Um, and then after Minethrin fell, um, the, the rest of the lands finally were able to drive the Trollocs back into the Blight at about 1350 AB. So we are now about 1300 years after the breaking. So it's interesting that the White Tower is between the Blight and the Minethrin area. I have to wonder if maybe the the White Tower kind of pulled inside of itself during that time too to to yeah. defend because there were in that pathway if the Trollocs went all the way to Minethrin. Yeah, that's very true. Just that you should be testing for Trollocs. <laughs> yeah, I guess and tent the city if necessary. Like, was there a leader for the Trollocs? Was there like anything that that drove why they have you know why? What led yeah, to were this? we seeing faceless ones or eyeless ones at that point? Uh, uh, no, I mean clearly, if Trollocs are attacking, they're being led by by Fades. That's mm-hmm. you know, Fades lead lead the Trolloc armies. So well, I didn't know if like a a Trolloc left uncontrolled like would randomly start striking out. Um, they would, but they would also randomly start striking out at other Trollocs. So it, valid, it's, valid. Okay. You know, you, you, you can't get a, a, an unled Trolloc to necessarily go to war against humans because Trollocs are mostly lazy. They just want, you know, food and sex essentially. And if they don't have somebody driving them to, to be a warrior, they're not going to. Okay. So, so from their point of view, the general state of it is I want, I want food. There's a Trolloc closer than anything else. So I'll eat to that guy. Yeah. Right. Um, so, do we know what led the Trollocs to, like, what organ, what force organized that Trolloc army? We don't know. Just like something that happened, you know, mm-hmm. two thousand years ago, twenty five hundred years ago. We 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 don't have an idea. Yep. Or actually, okay. about almost three thousand years ago. At this yep. point. There there was no great fade leader who came out and yeah. was nyeh, 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 nyeh. okay. Yeah, we we know that the the Trollocs came out of the blight. We don't know why. Right, uh, Samaria. Yeah, has anyone ever tried to undo Trollocs and Fades? So <laughs> this occurred to me a few times, actually, when we were watching the series. How how come there hasn't seemed to be a concentrated effort to just get rid of Trolloc population? Or has um, there been and we just haven't seen it yet? There, there 
have been like, you know, at here during the Trolloc Wars, there was definitely a concerted effort to just destroy every Trolloc that they could find. And at the end of the Trolloc Wars, they pretty much had done that. The Trollocs themselves tend to live in the blight. So, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a thought by most people. If they want to stay in the blight, we'll let them stay in the blight because we don't want to go into the blight after them. So as long as they're in the blight and we're not in the blight, everything's everything's copacetic. And also then there aren't that many humans. Yeah. Like even at peak population, mm. we've still got a massively underpopulated uh, world. So having the resources to go in there and do that likely wouldn't exist. Yeah. And being unaware of how many Trollocs there are in the blight. Yeah. Not like they're doing a head count. Mm -hmm. You go into that blight, you don't know the what census. you're The blight's yeah. a really <laughs> defensible place. So you would have to basically destroy the entire blight to verify that you have all the Trollocs, and that's a nearly impossible task. Yeah, they but can't it do it. it should have occurred to them to just mail a whole bunch of like censuses to them, make the Trollocs fill it out, and then they'll know. <laughs> I think, Mari, you're on to it. So... <sighs> It's <laughs> <laughs> a great, it's a great image. Way to go, DW! Killed Rurark with a yeah, trollic senses. Yeah. Hey, no, no, no! I'm not taking the blame for this one. Samaria started it. She started. She put the idea in my head. <laughs> okay, so the trollics don't make a habit of going and and attacking humans and raiding humans. Like I said, trollics are lazy. They want they want food. They want sex. They want to you know. That's all they want. They, they, if anything else that they're doing, they're being driven to do by a fate. And due to the fact that they generally are in the, the blight where people don't want to go, other than borderlanders, most people think Trollocs are a myth. Interesting. I mean, oh, even that's at the time fascinating. of the Trolloc Wars, you got to figure it's been a thousand years since the, the War of the Shadow. And nobody's seen a Trolloc in that time. They've they've heard stories of Trollocs in the War of Shadow, but then nobody's have actually seen one. So to a lot of people, when these Trollocs show up, they're a myth. That That's the same thing that happened at the beginning of, of the first episode. The Trollocs show up in, in Two Rivers and everybody there is like, what is going on? What are these things? You know. Just need one guy right before he's killed. I told you they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Knew it the whole time. That is actually an angle I didn't consider because I just figured, you know, there's some super scary thing out there that you just hope you never come across and you mm -hmm. do what you can. Like you use it as a boogeyman to scare kids. But, you know, it's like, OK, if you stay out, if you stay out of this place at this time, you'll never find them. I didn't think people were like, oh, no, they're fake. Yeah. OK. Well, I mean, if the boogeyman ever existed, you know, we don't know now. I was I was going to say if only there was something in in our modern time that seemed like it would be obvious that everybody would know about and be scared <laughs> of, and yet people still stand around saying that it's fake and doesn't actually exist. Like, I, you know, I can't imagine a society actually doing something like that. That just seems completely unrealistic. You're absolutely correct there. When you put it like that. <laughs> so yeah, the the Trolloc Wars ended. Um, the Trollocs were driven back into the Blight to become a myth yet again. And people realized that during the course of the Trolloc Wars, uh, they kind of started losing track of time. And some records 
got screwed up and some that they're thinking there may have been more fewer years in there than their records indicate because you know when you're fighting trollocs for 300 years record keeping kind of goes out the window a little bit so and it's interesting because the uh, way you kind of mentioned it before uh Literature is the only records that survived. If there was any form of record keeping before the breaking of the world, all of that is lost, right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, almost the entire world was lost at the breaking of the world. Uh, This is more of a, you know, the, the, the Viking hordes came through and just burned everything on their way through, which is what the Trollocs are doing. And it says, has, completely shrunk the the population of the world yet again probably down to half what it had built up to gotcha and it really makes me think again that the white tower kind of hunkered down during the trolley wars because if the brown aja was doing what it does in current time you would think they would be keeping a good record of what was going on but probably didn't have a good view of the world around them so there's there's also mention in the final episode of Dark Friends removing records from the White Tower's library. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much of that was also going on. Like if you do have some recorded history that the Aes Sedai were protecting yeah. and then you have Dark Friends who are tricking their way into these these records and destroying things. And I mean, there's no reason to assume that that I said I couldn't be corrupted and be dark friends, right? There may well have been like it, their own level of civil war going on within the White Tower. It's not that you um, know not that they were stepping away from the world. It's they were right up there and being just as fucked as everybody else. The the official statement from the tower is that the Black Aja is a myth, and that anybody who claims any knowledge of the Black Aja is themselves a dark friend, and dark friends could never make it to be a full Aes Sedai because they would be. <laughs> Uh, um, filtered out before they ever made it that far, and there is no such thing as the Black Aja or Dark Friends in the in the tower. Is that a self delusion, or is, is that great? <laughs> is that the PR campaign or self delusion? I'm just saying. That, <laughs> I'm just saying that that's that's what this uh, this letter that I got from the White Tower Library says. Uh, um, I, I asked them to. That's, to, that's uh, big comp- Aja trying to on, stop on things. this episode, and, and that that was their comment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. This episode brought to you by Big Aja. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some awesome art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like The Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out Four Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. Hi, I'm Dr. Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do. Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? 
It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week, and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. Okay, so, uh, as I was saying, Trolloc War is finally over, Trollocs become myth, and they realize that their records are, are toast again, and they're not even sure what year it is at this point, so they start a new calendar, the way civilizations are wont to do. Uh, they call these these years the free years, so uh, new calendars uh, FY. And this is going to be around 0 AD on our own calendar, if, if we were comparing timelines. Um, so real quick question on yeah. that. Um, you, you mentioned that there are years lost. When people talk about what happened uh, after the breaking, were they... When, when we hear a year, is that the correct number of years or is that the number of years that the people who live think it was? That That's kind of a uh, the number of years that the people think it was. Interesting. So it could have been longer. Yeah. Okay. But like, the, I'm assuming the level of variance is kind of like in the century or two, not a millennia or two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not losing a, a whole millennia, but, you know, over time – a year here, a couple of years there, ends up to maybe a century over over yeah. millennia. Gotcha. Time, you know. And if you're talking about something that happened two thousand years ago, who cares about plus or minus hundred years? It was still <laughs> fucking <laughs> old, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this this is uh, the year zero FY free years, um, and um, I, I so I went through and and came up with a bunch of uh, real world timeline things to figure out what happened in our own timeline around the same time as this. So, and uh, zero FY almost lines up perfectly with zero AD. Unfortunately, I can't think of anything that happened in zero AD that's worth mentioning. So. <laughs> I know the Romans were doing some stuff around that time. There was a census I heard. Yeah, a census going on. There, there was a lot of stuff going on in China, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't. I'm not very good with history, so I don't know. Yeah. I heard there was something in uh, South America during that time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Incas were up to some really interesting stuff in that area. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so yeah, the new calendar is adopted, and uh, all of the all of those ten nations that had been in existence before the Trolloc Wars have collapsed by this point. Um, there are now 29 new nations in their place. Um, I'm not going to bother naming them because none of them matter. But so, uh, quick question on that: the ten nations became twenty-nine nations, or were there ten nations and we added another nineteen? No, the ten nations became twenty-nine nations. Interesting. Okay. So they broke down and then rebuilt into twenty-nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at European history or or any the other usual. history of anywhere, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, Germany oh, yeah. gets bigger, Germany gets smaller, Italy gets countries bigger, absorbed gets countries, yeah. countries broke into countries. You know, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um. So then we're going to skip ahead about six hundred years to free year six forty-two. Um, and this is when the Great Fire of Tarvalon happened, uh, which included damage to the Tower Library. Dark friends. So, <laughs> so we definitely lost some major records there because the Tower Library is kind of like, I mean, the, the closest approximation I can think of is like the Library of Alexandria. You know, it is like the repository of known information. 
So funny, fun fact there, the Library of Alexandria, there wasn't a lot of information lost from the Library of Alexandria when it burned, because by the time that happened, it had kind of fallen into disrepair a bit. Oh. All of the really cool stuff that was there, there were nearly all the, the stuff that was really cool that was there, there were copies had been made and were in other libraries. So, so they'd already upgraded and gotten some new libraries. That was the old library burned down, but everybody was still uh, a little upset about it. Well, it, it was more that Alexandria had gone from being a really important city to being to, to being not so much, to being, you know, like a... a so it a, went from New York to Cleveland. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so all of the really yeah. cool books <laughs> that had been in there that were really important had gone on to the, you know, to the new important city libraries. Um, if... So by the as I said, yeah, by the time it burnt, it was like, yeah, okay, Cleveland Library burnt. There were some interesting things in there, but it really wasn't all that in a bag of chips, you know. And cue the hate mail from Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. And uh, just to put that in perspective, uh, that great fire at the Tarvalon Library was around the same time that Muhammad was kind of doing his thing with the Quran and all that. Okay. Okay. Um, so then we move on to uh, free year 939, uh, where a plague hits the world, a uh, black fever, and it kills 10% of the population in the world. Did this come from blight or this is completely new thing? I mean – you know, our own world has plagues. Not, not mm -hmm. plagues don't necessarily have to come from the dark one. They just kind of are. They come from I'm black sure. rats. I was just curious if it did yeah. come from him. I mean, if it did, I don't know that we have any proof. Gotcha. I mean, you gotcha. know, I mean, clearly somebody's going to try to claim everything bad is caused by the dark one, but I don't think we can necessarily say that. Everyone freaking refused to wear masks. <laughs> uh, except the Aiel. Except the Aiel. <laughs> So, yeah, the black fever killed 10% of the population, and uh, the king and queen of Shandell die. Uh, that's one of these 29 nations that, that now exist. And a person named Arter Pandrag Tanrial is the person who then becomes king. Um, this becomes very important. Remember that name, Arter Pandrag, Tan Pandrag Tanrial. Um, Got it. Around this same time, a person by the name of Guire Amalasan declares himself the Dragon Reborn. Of course he does. Of course he does. Um, so uh, this kicks us right into what's called the War of the Second Dragon. Um, Guire Amalasan conquers about a third of the continent, um, and Ardor Pandrag uh, allies against him and allies a bunch of the other nations against him. And this is where he picks up the name, the nickname Hawkwing. So he is now known as Arter Hawkwing. Um, and he picks up that name because of the speed that he moves his troops from battle to battle. So uh, between 939 and 943 is when this, this uh, war goes on. And then Arter Hawkwing finally defeats this false dragon and takes him to Tarvalon. Um, the false dragon's armies besiege Tarvalon. But luckily, uh, Hawkwing is already there and kind of repels them. But in this process, uh, something happens between Arter Hawkwing and the Amerlin at the time, and they depart on bad terms. Um, does the name Arter Pandrag stand out to anybody? That sounds yeah. a little yes, bit yes, like yes, I've heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I believe somebody told me to remember that name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah, the I mean, obviously, Arthur Pendrag, Arthur Hawkwing is heavily, heavily based on the myth of King Arthur in England. Um, I think he's okay. also got a little bit of uh, of Alexander the Great mixed in there as well, and and pretty much any great conquering hero. But you know, the 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 similarities are obvious, and I think Axel probably has something. So it's difficult to know. So, mm. uh, like the myth of Arthur is really about him holding back the Danish invasion of England. Um, sorry, the Saxon invasion um, and def- defending kind of residual Celts and the Romano British. Um, but there, um, I don't know really how well it relates to, like the the story of the time. Well, let, let's get a little bit further into Arthur Hawkwing's uh, well, story. Real quick, with Hawkwing, yeah. do we have a magic sword story? Uh, Arthur Hawkwing did have a sword named Justice that he used. It was not a magic sword. It was just. Arthur Hawkwing and his great sword Justice. Got it. Um, so after um, Arthur Hawkwing defe- defeats Squire Amalasan and takes him to Tarvalon, um, and then gets into it with the Amarlin seat a little bit, uh, become comes the War of Consolidation. Um, everything's been thrown into upheaval again, and people start fighting. And Arthur Hawkwing starts going around and taking care of those fights. And uh, well, by nine sixty three, Arthur Hawkwing is the undisputed emperor of the entire Westlands. Oof. Except for Tarvalon. And after that, in 964, uh, Arthur Hawkwing decides to invade what's known as the Aiel Waste on the other side of the spine of the world. Um, he then uninvades very shortly thereafter <laughs> um, and comes back home. Uh, so that was, you know, goes in in the spring, comes out in the summer kind of thing. Um so a really quick turnaround. He doesn't even wait to get frozen out by winter, as is traditional amongst pl- people invading to the Far East. Yes. Um, no, he was fine. Finds he just out about out the Aiel and uh, turns tail at that point. And, and, and the funny thing is, it was not because the Aiel handed him his, his ass. It's because he walked into the Waste and the Aiel were like, who are these people? Screw this. We're out. If you don't want to find an Aiel, then you're not going to find them. So he just kind of marched around the waste for a while until he realized there's not a lot of water here and I'm going home. So it's Napoleon in Russia. Very much so. It's in the Russia kept pulling back. Napoleon ordered. kept going. Russia's like, eh, follow nothing us if eat. you want to try. Nothing to eat. Nothing will grow. Mm-hmm. Why are we fighting for this place again? <laughs> More or less. In, in, in this case, a s- smarter, and I guess also because there was no cities, there were no great cities at the end of the road full of treasure for him to invade at. Yeah. So, so what was his... We don't I guess, know the, that the Aiel don't have this masterful city full of gold. We don't know. Never been there. The important thing is, though, you don't know that there is an objective, right? Like, yeah, which true. is very much when, when you, you know, when, you, when you're Napoleon, you've got like, there is Moscow at the end of this march. You know, like there is a route to China and all of the wealth. So there's a really good reason to want to go through it. Um, no, that is an absolutely valid point. Okay, so after Arthur Huckwing finally comes back from the Aiel Waste, um, then we get about a decade or so of just peace. 
the the Westlands are at peace, and uh, Axel actually uh, uh, early in in the season you brought up um, some information about the Roman Empire. I think it was where you take mm-hmm. where you get your governors from one area and you send them to another area, and then you know. So your governors are not from the area they're governing and the troops are not from the area that they're trooping and blah, 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 blah. And that way you keep peace because mm-hmm. they have to watch over each other's stuff. And this, this is exactly what Hawkwing does. Right. He solidifies his empire by doing that very exact thing. It makes um, me a little sad that it seems to only be a decade. Yeah. I know. It's a commercial break. Um, <laughs> but, so he is one smart cookie of a leader. Yeah. So during that decade, um, huge public works projects happen. Uh, this is where, you know, we get uh, viaducts and some grand cities and things like that. And uh, roads, you know, very much, mm-hmm. very much like the Roman Empire, roads between all of the places. So so all of the countries are now much more connected for trade and travel than they had been previously. Um, now, is it repairing roads that already existed from before the breaking kind of thing? Or is it laying down completely new roads? So I, I I don't think you're comprehending the level of destruction of the breaking. Um, there are no roads to repair. Yeah, there, there's gotcha. very little left of the planet. Um, gotcha. I'll, I'll give you an example from the books. At one point, they are going through the mountains, and they are high, high, high in a mountain pass. And somebody looks up on the side of the mountain above them. You know, they're all already in the pass, looking up the side of the mountain, and they see what looks like a dock, a stone dock on the side of the mountain. And they're like, what is up with that? And somebody's like, well, that used to be in the ocean back back before the breaking. Okay. Actually, so yes. things that were where they were originally are no longer there yeah. and moved around so much. Roads yeah, don't like, lead like, like to places. There are possibly entire missing continents. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I think the, the show didn't do us any favors there because they're really – they were trying to show that stuff exists still kind of in the landscape. Yeah. But they also, at the same time, made it kind of look like it was just decayed and not broken and splintered apart. Yeah. We're we're talking like some areas where people are now living used to be ocean floors. Some areas that are now mountaintops, you know, used to be ocean floors. Some areas that are now ocean floors used to be mountaintops. You know, like we're, they really did a number on the planet. And is the idea that the uh, male Aes Sedai well, and, and those fighting them uh, literally were using the elements and, and trashing everything to do what destruction they did? Yeah. And and I don't think they, the male Aes Sedai were not doing the destruction like, ha, I'm going to destroy things. They really were at the point where they did not recognize the difference between right and wrong. So one of them might have just you know been standing there and go, I think a mountain would look good right there and then make a mountain pop up right there. You know, forget about the fact that there's a city right there. Right. Just completely divorced from reality. Um, exactly. Yeah. So what I just want to touch on actually uh, talking about roads, um, when we go back to pre-industrial um, civilization, roads really weren't that important because it takes a huge amount to, if you want to move something by road, you have you can only go very slowly, um, and it's very expensive to move stuff. V- the vast majority of transport was by was by ship, either on sea or up up and down rivers. That was way more important because half the journey for half the time, you don't have to put any effort into travel at all, right? Because you're going down river. 
And if you're going upriver, you've got you can use wind for a little bit of it. You've got some pushing going on. You can use horses. Also, you've got water to drink. So you don't have to carry it. If you're going on a road, you need to bring water. Water gets really heavy really quickly. Um, and it also means that you can travel a lot faster and a lot more consistently. So, like, and, and this kind of ties into things like in the big long journeys that we see in fantasy stories, it's always road travel. But really, people don't do that. Like, you know, like old cities, they're always on the coast. Because again, f right? If you have to cross a mountain range, you really just don't. It's a way better idea to go round. <laughs> you know, like totally. that's really. That's why the, the, the old empires were around the Mediterranean, right? And why Germany and Italy are sep were separated culturally because there's a mountain range. Fuck that noise. No, and I totally get that from our history, but I'm going, we're going on a civilization that it seems like culture had passed where we currently are, which means that the Second Age probably had roads, probably had all of those things. They had flying And then cars. those were broken in the breaking oh, yeah. of the world. That's, <laughs> what, that's what I was going with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The world, the, the, the world of the, the Age of Legend totally makes sense, would have been using roads and stuff. But it's more kind of getting back when we look at the, the current era. Right. And that also may tie, you know, if that was talked to, that would tie into the disruption between the old world and the new world. Right. Because any of the ruins where they're left are places that were sensible to drive to. Right. See further New York to Cleveland. Right. Or uh, Cincinnati or something. I mean, just if you look at the map, there's not a lot of east to west river to travel on. So they would have had to do roads to get east to west. Yeah, and, and if you look at that map, the big area in the middle, the Carolyn Grass, uh, there are no major rivers through there. Uh, there's only one way across that, and that's to walk. And that grass is probably pretty flat and pretty uh, yeah. harvestable. So um, that that's uh, the Carolyn Grass is where we saw um, Perrin and Egwene traveling with the traveling people. Oh, desert. Gotcha. So uh, moving on with our timeline, um, we, we just had uh, Ardor Hawkwing with all these major civil projects and everything. Uh, everything is going wonderful. His lands are all peaceful up till about 975. Um, and then something happens between 975 and 994. Um, I actually sent to the Tower Library for these records so that I could, could read about them for you guys. Um, and what they <laughs> sent me was... Uh, it just says uh, free year 975 through 994 redacted. Oh, <laughs> so I, I I tried to give get this information for you guys, but they are not letting me give it to so you. So they just dipped the whole page in ink. Yeah, yeah, they just dipped the whole page except for the header in ink, and then just had it. Yeah, Blip. more or less. Um, one thing I can tell you during that time is uh, once again the White Tower Library suffered arson, which had nothing at all to do with any Black Eye Sedai. Nothing whatsoever because, no. Black, because Black Aja do not What Black exist. Aja? Yeah. Black, there is no Black Aja. Right. Um, and then uh, immediately after that period, uh, for year 994, uh, Arthur Hawkwing dies. Um, and all of his heirs also die. Um, his heirs have, have – he's sired many heirs during his lifetime and all of them die before he does. Um, That's not suspicious at all. Not, not at all. Not at all. So his empire immediately begins to crumble and the War of 100 Years begins. Which probably sounds familiar to Axel. I was going to say, strikes me though again different 
100 Years War was very much about, well, actually, no, it could you could yeah. relate it because uh, the 100 Years War was nominally between England and France, yeah. but the English king then was also the king of Normandy and Western France. Um, and the French king was much, was trying to establish the concept of an empire and came, was a descendant of Charlemagne. So there had been this big empire under one guy. Um, what happened with the, with Charlemagne's empire, he had four kids and in his culture, they didn't follow primogenitor. All the sons got an equal share of the empire. So it got split into a mm. bunch of bits, right? Yeah. Um, one of which turns into France. Um, the French king, though, is basically got a whole bunch of people who have no history of this being an emperor, just like one great warrior had beaten up everything. Bit similar to what we're looking at here. He's trying to establish an empire. One of his nobles happens to have invaded this crappy little country to the north, because at that time, England was a crappy little country to the north that, that was good for sheep and nothing else. Um, so nothing's changed is what you're saying. Basically, yeah. Um, it's kind of going, but well, England's reverting back to what it was. It had its moment in the oh, sun, right? Oh, okay. With yeah. the Industrial yeah. Revolution and, and taking over most of the world. But now, following Brexit, England is reverting to its traditional p place of being on the edge of Europe and a place that nobody really wants to go to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you could see then that um, the Duke of Normandy, etc., and King of England fighting the King of France in the Hundred Years' War is kind of, with lots of political machinations and, and yeah. back and forths, I guess the big difference is, is that the Hundred Years' War ended up with the king consolidating his power. In this case, this ends up with the empire crumbling to nothing. Yeah. Um, so before I move on from Ardor Hawkwing, uh, I want to address him just a little bit more. Um, first of all, all of this that Ardor Hawkwing all of this uh, from Arthur Hawkwing becoming um, a king of a, of a kingdom to becoming the high king to to dying happened around the same time that uh, the whole Viking era happened and the discovery of Greenland and things like that. Just to put it in in real world terms as to how long ago this was. Um, second thing about Arthur Hawkwing, um, he was known, at least known amongst Aes Sedai, as the most powerful Tavirin in memory. Uh, probably the most powerful Tavirin since the original dragon. Um, it was said that people could walk into a room with Ardor Hawkwing and feel the pattern reweaving around them. Like, people would go to, I don't know, try to strike a treaty with him in and and have in their mind exactly what they were going to do and they'd walk in and say the exact opposite and then walk out and say what just happened so ardor hawkwing taviran this this is something we do know and that's kind of an example of how taviran works and and yeah so so is that something that is under the taviran's conscious control or is this sort of the world just works like that no, it's it's not a conscious control thing. It's it's the pattern is right. doing it. The pattern has chosen you as a Tavirin, so you are the 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 pattern's tool, not the other way around. Right. Um, so completely and, and, unrelated to any yeah. kind of connection with the source as well. Yeah, completely un unrelated to connection with the source because Ardor Hawkwing could not channel in any way. 
Um, I've, I've always thought of, uh, having read things like this about Ardor Hawkwing, I've always thought about Taviran being something like Steve Jobs or something. You know, Steve Jobs had what was known as the reality distortion field. He would walk into a room with you and you would think that the entire world revolved around you because of the way that he was speaking with you. And he would give you ideas that, that, and, and you would, that you would not have thought you want you for good ideas beforehand, but when Steve Jobs gives them to you, suddenly they're great ideas. And, you know, so it, it, that's, that's when I hear about people like that, I, I've heard the same thing about like Bill Clinton or other politicians. That's kind of what I think of, of, uh, Tavira mm-hmm. being like, you know, just somebody, they walk into the room and everything kind of like suddenly becomes about that person. They make, they make oh, a suggestion. Yes. It's the best idea. Yeah. It's the yeah. best idea you've ever heard of. And you're going to follow along with it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, as I said, uh, Arthur Hawkwing now dead and, uh, his empire crumbles. We get the war of the hundred years, which actually lasted about 123 years, but you know, which is about the, the same as the, that's yeah. about the same as the hundred years war. Not very catchy name. Yeah. 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 123 year war just doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way. Um, then we'll, we'll jump ahead just a little bit, uh, during this time, um, uh, Lothair Mantlar, uh, he founds the Children of the Light. Uh, he founds them as a group of people, just their whole goal is to expose dark friends. Um, he outlines his philosophy in a book called The Way of the Light. And uh, about 100 years after he originally founded them, they have become a full political military organization. So it's one of these things starts off with uh, good intentions and a, a righteous thing and gradually spins out of control something to that effect yeah i i always have felt it since they came about shortly after the high king died and the high king had a a a, obviously a contentious um relationship with tarvalon i have always felt like they kind of rose because of the high king's contention that kind of became a, Mm -hmm. a normal thing for people and they kind of rose to take up that mantle after the High King died, if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, that that's where the Children of the Light came from. Um, this would be getting close to about 1080 if we're looking at the, the parallel timeline. Um, so um, after the Hundred Years' War, now we have 24 nations. Um and these, from these 24 nations, eventually the 14 nations that exist in the time of the series will rise. So those 24 nations kind of combine and, and do a little thing over time. And, and that's where we get the, the current 14 nations. Um, and after the 120 years war, they realize once again uh, they kind of lost track of time and records because it was a hundred year long war between everybody on the continent and lots of records either didn't get made or got burned or whatever. So once again, we get a calendar reset. You just don't keep track that closely because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So uh, once again, we get a calendar reset and we get kind of a population reset because the hundred years war was very, very bloody. And that is where we get the new era. Uh, the new era is the era that we're in now in the show. Um, it's abbreviated NE. Um, this is around 1000 AD. 
if if we're looking at a parallel mm -hmm. timeline. Um, and the first 900 or so years of the new era, very peaceful. Finally, you know, long period of peace. Not saying entirely peaceful, because like I said, we had 24 nations after Ardor Hawkwing, and they become 14 nations by the end of the new era. So, you know, there's some border disputes and things like that, but none of the major, huge, world-rending wars that have been happening for the last couple thousand years. And considerably more than a decade. Yeah. Um, so we're going to jump to 908 NE. So we're jumping over 900 years of relative Ooh. peace. And uh, job, that's guys. when, that's <laughs> when uh, Loyal is born. So we get our first character in the books. That's in nine, 908 of the new era. Um, then in uh, between 920 and 930 of the new era, we're going to get a little bit more in-depth on, on uh, uh, finer points now because we're getting closer to where we're actually at. And this is something more recent history that's actually going to, to have more of an effect on what's going on in the show. Um, so... Um, right after Loyal is born in 908, in about 920 is when the Children of the Light uh, settle in Amadisia. Before that, they'd been kind of a mobile force. And then they finally decided the land of Amadisia is where they were going to settle, and they pretty much just settle and take control within about 10 years. Um, they claim that they're an independent force within the boundaries of Amadisia, but the king really rules at their behest. So a bit similar to the uh, Templars in the Holy Land under the, in the Christian kingdoms. They show up, they're all going to... Yeah, but lasted a lot longer. Yeah, so moving on, uh, now we're in 955 of the New Era, and this is when Malkir falls and is swallowed by the Blight. So this is about 40 or so years ago, 40, 50 years ago. And that's Land's home, right? That is Land's home. Mm -hmm. So is it an entire kingdom or was it the northern portion of some kingdoms that still exist? No, it was its own entire kingdom. Damn. Yeah. Um, and then a little bit after that in 957 is what we get is when we get the White Cloak War. Um, the White Cloaks having uh, invaded Poland. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I mean Altara. Um, uh, they, they invade Altara, and uh, lots of other countries walk in and say, we've seen this before. We're not going to let that happen. And uh, there was a major war between most of the countries around Altara and the White Cloaks trying to take over Altara. Um, and despite the White Cloaks actually winning more victories than any of the others, uh, they decide to get out of there anyway because uh, they realize they don't have enough people to actually hold the land. They can just stay there and battle forever. Um, so the, the White Cloaks go back home, and uh, Tam actually was part of the Ilioner army during that war. Um, in 964, this is where uh, Egwene's parents get married. Just for fun. I thought I would throw that in. Uh, 968. Uh, this is uh, Kyrian, Kyrian and Andor uh, claim peace. And they no longer have border clashes for the first time since Kyrian and Andor existed. And uh, just to put this in terms that you'll understand, Axel, this is like uh, England and France. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Not, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, very much so. 
970, uh, Ilion and Tyr, uh, two more countries that now currently exist, uh, get into several border conflicts. And I only bring this up because this is where uh, Tam really gets to shine. And this is where uh, the, these conflicts are where he became promoted to become a second captain in the Companion. So he's he, he got promoted up pretty high there. And then uh, immediately after, after that, uh, we have the Aiel War. Uh, we saw the Aiel War with with uh, a little bit of it with the Blood Snow uh, scene. What happened with the Aiel War? It took place over about two years. Um, about ninety thousand Aiel warriors came over the Dragon Wall. Um, most of the countries um, on the east side of the continent sent troops to try to repel them, and did a very bad job of it in most places. Um, Kyrian, Tyr, Andor, most of the easternmost borderlands, and Tarvalon itself were all attacked. Um, and the Grand Alliance of Ten Nations uh, finally was able to push the Aiel up against the walls of Tarvalon and kind of tried to do a hammer and anvil situation, which didn't work out well for them because uh, the Aiel don't like to be in a situation like that. Um, but... Somewhere shortly after that, the Aiel all just disappeared back over the Dragon Wall. And so the, we don't know why. So that dra the oh, Okay, wall, do we know why they attacked? Do I know why? I absolutely know why. Yeah. <laughs> see, this comes out. Oh, okay. Am I going to tell you? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what this is. That's something that's going to come I'll out. Carry on. That's something that's going to come out during <laughs> the story. Yes, very much so. Right. Um, but... But as I was saying, uh, this is kind of an education that the people in this world would have. So if you were just a farmer or something in this world, you would know about the Aiel War, but you wouldn't know why. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it a war where they showed up, invaded places, like looted ever looted what as looted all the good stuff and then fucked off? Like, or were they occupying uh, cities neither. as they went? Okay. So what were they doing? Like they show up, they, they beat up armies. Mm -hmm. Um, they presumably don't, I mean, they, they, they win some of them. They, they win most of them. Right. So what do they do after they've, right. So after they've won the battles, I mean, like they're getting some, what are they doing like with the cities and the people? Um, well, the, the cities they 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 do do some um some looting I mean, mm -hmm. you know they, they they don't loot them to the ground but the strangely enough they leave behind a whole lot they they mm -hmm. loot a little bit but they don't loot everything um and yeah it from that you're, you're hitting on exactly what concerned everybody in the world when the Iowa war was going on why are they here what are they doing they're not like burning cities and taking everything to the ground behind them. They're just taking some stuff and then continuing on. Right. What's up with the Aiel and why did they leave and are they going to come back? Right. So it's like they, they took enough to keep their campaign going, not enough to like demonstrate this is why they're invading. Yeah, not enough to say, screw you, you can't come back to your city. You know. Yep. Or even, pre I mean, also presumably not a shit ton of all the cool stuff. Yeah. Which would make people go, okay, they're on a raiding and looting um, invasion versus a, you know, invading, occupying and taking over, which again, yeah. clearly they obviously, they weren't doing that at all. 
Yeah, like mean, they you, weren't you, trying you, to take ground. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, they took stuff, but they didn't take all the stuff, so it wasn't yep. just a looting spree. You know, yep. if you would think if it was a looting spree, they would take everything of value, and they only took, yep. I would say, twenty percent of of mm-hmm. the things of value. Right. Um, so yeah, um, it really shows you the scale of the Aiel in general because you're talking about nearly half of this side of the continent fighting against a force that came over the the mountains and the force is winning or repelling half the continent. So either the Aiel encompass a very large space on the other side of the mountains or they're really impressive fighters or both. Well, I, th- I think we've already seen they're they're very much very impressive fighters. Yeah, one it was what what one against ten. Yeah. <laughs> so and maybe they don't and need a lot birth of them. At the same time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe they don't need a lot of them. They just need, you know, to be together, yeah. essentially. Like, you know, what's numbers when you actually, you know, can work together. So I'm getting a bit of a uh, like a Mongol invasion vibe from it. I, I could see that. that yeah. Work? Yeah, that's, um, that that's similar, yeah. And and that from the perspective of a European, you wouldn't they would a European at the time wouldn't wouldn't know why they left because why they left was internal politics all the way back in China. Mm-hmm. Um which could relate to the other invading navy that we saw at the end of the season oh, with the complicated names. Um the you know, the Shan Chen, right? Um, could you again? It, it, yeah, just sort of like they, this could be an, a consequence of whatever weirdness is going on with the uh, with the Aiel. Yeah, on the other side of the mountains. Mm-hmm. Because the the Shan Chen could come from the other side of the of the Aiel, yeah. right? And have just sailed round the continent, not necessarily from another continent. See, for the whole point about, you know, traveling by ship being the way to travel long distances. Yeah. Um, and and one thing I will point out about when the IEL left, like, uh, we know that the the Battle of the Shining Walls, that was the battle at Tarvalon, uh, where the blood snow happened. And we know that Rand was born at the blood snow. And I can tell you that, like, two days later is when the IEL packed up and headed out. So... Just putting that in the timeline. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that they knew that Rand was born and that's why they were like, oh, let's get out of here. Rand was Job born. Job done. Yeah. <laughs> but if he's Tavirin, he could be Tavirin even in the womb. And him weaving all of Aiel to start this war and then going across the wall just to put him in that part of the country when he's born as part of the weave. It's a very elaborate birth plan. (laughs) For sure. Very elaborate. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that very elaborate birth plan, the next item in my notes is uh, 978 NE. This is when our, most of our heroes are born. Uh, This is when Rand, Matt, Perrin, and I guess now Egwene, Egwene used to be younger than them, but I think they're, they're putting her about the same age now. We're all born, and well, they uh, seem I'll, to have hinted that she was uh, older. Uh, Nynaeve is older. Egwene, oh no, no. So Egwene is Egwene was older. Yeah. Uh, oh, in in the books, Egwene is about a year or two younger than the boys. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
But in um, the, yeah, but in the episode, Maureen said that there were four of them all born in the same time. Yeah, so so I think they've aged Egwene up and and have her born at the same time as Matt, Rat, Matt, Rand, and Perrin. There we go. Um, and obviously, this is the same time that uh, Guitara Moroso, the the Amarlin seat, prophesized the dragon's rebirth because that's when the dragon was born. Um, and then one year after that, uh, that's when Swan and Moraine are raised to the shawl in, in Tarvalon. Um, Moraine immediately leaves the tower in search of the dragon. Um, and she crosses path, paths with Lan up in the borderlands and, uh, they, they meet, they talk, they, some things happen. He finds out what her, her whole thing is and then pledges himself to her and that that's how she and lan come together i get the feeling they're going to tell a little bit more of that story so i'm not going to tell the details but yeah it was pretty quickly she was raised to the shawl she went out looking for the dragon and she found Lan, who is man dragon so i guess she did in a way find a dragon <laughs> <laughs> just occurred to me um 985 uh owen marilyn is gentled we we remember the story that Tom told about his nephew Owen. Right. Yeah, that's when it happened, 985. And then in 988, so this is about 10 years after Swan and Moraine were, were raised, um, they've had three um, three Amerlin's seat, three Amerlin seats. With, uh, any, anybody seated. <laughs> three Amerlin's seated. I, Amerlin's seat. I, I think I'm going to go with that. Um, three Amerlin's <laughs> seat have died in short succession at this point in time. Um, so they decide to raise a much younger Amerlin, and that's why Swan is raised. Although, you know, Swan, even though she is a fairly new Aes Sedai with only 10 years under her belt, is raised at this point because they're sick of Amerlin's dying every couple of years. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah, which actually is is uh, happened in in uh, uh, the Catholic Church uh, in back around the sixties, seventies. I want to say they had like three popes die in quick succession, and then their next pope they went with a much much younger guy for that very same reason. Yeah, that actually that was the late seventies because it was Paul yeah. John Paul II got was promoted. The new pope. Yeah, yeah, and I remember. The Pope's dying around then. So that uh, said, yeah, around when I was, when I was about 10 and, or so. Actually, that's hilarious because that's in the 70s in, in <laughs> New Era as well. Um, and when were these books written? Uh, these were in the late 80s through the 90s. Interesting. Yeah. Current events. Very much mm-hmm. current events. Um, so, so when an Amaralyn seat is raised uh, into the role, mm-hmm. My understanding from watching the show is that the amount of power she has is relevant. Like they wouldn't necessarily elect the most powerful. Um, so, but she has to be up there. So it's it's tricky. Amongst Aes Sedai, uh, power level is important. Um, they will tend to defer to the most powerful person in the room, you know, has nothing to do with age or, or amount of time working with power. They tend to just defer to the most powerful person in the room. Um, so yeah, that does kind of play into it, but it also, the Amarlin does not have to be the most powerful person who can channel. Um, Swan is by far not the most powerful person amongst the current Aes Sedai who can channel. She's just the one that 
got into the role. So yes and no, it, it, it can weigh a little bit in the decision, but isn't the only part of the decision. Gotcha. So um, how political is the Amelin seat? Yes. About as political as the Pope? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm not buying that Amelin seat is, you know, this hoity-toity, I'm above it all kind of role. Maybe it started like that. Yeah. But, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. Um, just from the little, you know, we've heard with, you know, multiple people warning Moraine about Swan and saying, oh, you can grab the seat. And, you know, the blues are supposed to, you know, come together behind her because she used to be one of us. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, there there is a lot of politicking. Well, and I'm sure there's posturing to to get someone from your Aja raised. Because yeah, even though oh, yeah. even though they're supposed to be colorless, I'll guarantee you there's always, you know, friendships and things and and yeah. um, there's gonna be that there. So a little bit of history, I can tell you that more blues have been raised uh Amberlin than any other color. Um fewer reds than any other color have been raised Amberlin. Uh, there has not been a red since the time of Arthur Arthur Hawkwing, uh, who has been Amberlin. Um, I, I assume that the reds are about as subtle, as, consistently as subtle as really Andron, and as good yeah, politics yeah, as she is. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Which might explain why the reds generally don't get the position. But, yeah. yeah, whereas um, the blues, who are all about the sneaky and the subterfuge, they know everybody's secrets. Yeah. And also their out front thing is that they're for causes, right? So it makes sense yeah. that they would make good leaders because they are visible to what's going on around them and they, they see the the little man, so to speak, and the, the causes that are out there and try to help those things happening. Yeah. yeah. And and part of the politics that go on in the White Tower, I think, might trace all the way back to when the White Tower was first formed right after the breaking. Because uh, as I was saying back when I was uh, telling you about that, the the Ajahs as we know them now are actually at that time were separate Aes Sedai functioning bodies because after the breaking, they had shattered and everybody was claiming to be the Aes Sedai. Whereas, you know, none of them were generally the Aes Sedai until they got together and, and reformed as one big whole. Well, the and other thing I noted, that big hole is where where the Ajas came from. So, of course, those Ajas are going to be fighting because they were never really the whole to begin with. The other thing I noted when you said that there's going to be infighting as well because each Aja absorbed other Aes Sedai, like we are the yeah. Aes Sedais, and became these seven that we know. So there's there's unrest. Oh yeah, very much so. But that's the kind of thing that will go away over the centuries, right? People will defer down to the kind of the the, the level that is materially active in politics, let's say. Like that's, yeah. you know, like count, like people don't care about counties, they care about countries now. But you go back a thousand years, counties were what mattered and countries didn't really exist the way we think of them today. Um yeah. But every once in a while, you still have somebody that steps up and says, our county is being ignored. 
in this look of the whole, you know, state or the whole country or the, there, there's still those people that are going to step up every once in a while. It's less. You're right. It, 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 it like kind of blends into the background, but every once in a while you get somebody who stands up and pushes for their group. Subject, the, the tricky thing there becomes, does a relic of that group still exist in a way that can be, can be talked about or thought about? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, 3,000 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to move ahead on with our uh, timeline here. We're almost done. Um, so right after uh, Swan gets raised to the Amarillo seat, in uh, that was in 988. In 993 through 997 of the new era, we have three different false dragons proclaim themselves around the continent. Um, not, a, not a one of them can channel. But they raised they they named themselves Dragon and started gathering armies before they were taken care of. Um, and this is more than we've seen in a long time. False dragons are a thing that happen throughout history. Most of them are just completely forgotten about because obviously they're not the dragon. Um, but three at one time was kind of uh, un not to be expected. It could be a reason why Loghain was such a powerful force, too, because he could actually yeah. channel. So he yeah. had that going for him. And everybody's seen, oh, well, these other guys were pretenders, but now this is the real deal. We see the magic happening. Yeah. And then uh, thanks for bringing up Loghain, because my next note is in 997, Loghain declares himself the dragon, and he, as you said, can channel. And that brought a lot of people in. And then we saw what happened to him. Um, and then my last note, uh, in 998 of the new era, um, I have Gandalf and Aragorn walk into Hobbiton. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where our show starts. So I want to know what, what, uh, you guys are thinking now after hearing, after that giant info dump of, of massive world history. It's really fun to have the geographic, uh, representation of what's going on just uh how how the countries have uh come together and fallen and the history of that and what's actually remembered in the current times versus what's lost to memory or is just legend at this point it definitely informs what some of the characters are doing uh it shows tam's history which is really neat and gives us kind of an idea of what some of the political groups are thinking and how they've processed what's going on in the current times. Yeah. Samari, you had a big grin on your face after, after I got done there. What are you thinking? Um, well, this place is really cool. That's, that is pretty much what I'm thinking. I, um, okay. Skip me. I'll be back. Let me gather my thoughts. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in with, I am really curious with uh, where Aragorn and Gandalf are going to go from here. I mean, I'm really hoping they delve into their story. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing there, were, were you actually listening in while, while you stepped away? Oh, from yes. Yes, I was. Okay. I wasn't sure you actually heard me say Aragorn and Gandalf, so I thought you came in with the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was playing off of yours. <laughs> I was just like... It would have been really funny if I yeah, hadn't been. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a joke that I've told many times. People say, you know, uh, describe wheel of time badly. And I'm like, Aragorn and Gandalf 
come and take. Uh, and then I have other things that I compare them to that I'm not going to compare, compare them to now because it would be spoilers. But yeah. <laughs> you almost walked into that one. Yeah, I almost did walk into that one. I, I, I realized as I started thinking about the characters, no, I can't tell you who that character Good is. Good catch. Good yeah. catch. Yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> So all all of you people listening out there who say you don't know how I do it, this is proof I don't know how I do it either. <laughs> I, I, that was a last second catch on that one. So I, I appreciate having um, the context for the map because I've been watching the following along on the map, the various mm -hmm. maps that Amazon had on their site while you go through this. And now I have a much better visual picture of what's going on and where people have been traveling. Mm -hmm. um, I read books with maps in them all the time. My eyes just glaze over because <laughs> I, I don't have like the three dimensional concept context, but this is super useful. Well, and the the recent maps you shared with us that showed us uh, what kingdoms were where before, and then now what those kingdoms turned into, and like that was an interesting uh, progression of maps. Yeah, yeah. So I got my thoughts. Oh, oh, this, this reminds me how. You know, may you live in interesting times is a curse yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not a blessing. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel I feel this sentiment a lot among my fellow younger millennials where, you know, we were kind of born into a really good time where, you know, we had this kind of golden childhood in the 90s. And, you know, we are you know, we both remember what it was to have a childhood that was not digitized, you know, wasn't lived online. Um, but we also, you know, got to grow up with computers. And so we remember like the very first ones in dial up in Windows 94 and the rainbow, you know, Mac computers and all that good stuff and can literally track from the time we were kids to, you know, now. Um, but how at the same time that all came with like just things being like fucked up, like really quickly. And like, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was like, oh man, this sucks, but it's really interesting to live in. You know, you, you know, you go to school and you hear all these stories and it sounds cool. You're like, man, I really wonder what it was like to grow up in something where, you know, everything is chaotic and falling apart. And, you know, you're not certain if, you know, your government's going to make it and, you know, fast forward to now it's like, oh, that's how it feels. We don't like it. And, you know, it's not your fault, but now it is, now it's your problem. And that's very much, that's very much like what, you know, Rand and Egwene and co are dealing with now. Like they grew up in the middle of nowhere you know, they're just here for a good time. They expected to live a life where, you know, you can enjoy things. You have options. If you're a Gwen and naive, um, you can choose them. You can choose not to do them, but your life is pretty much as far as, you know, guaranteed to be nice. And now it's not. And, you know, and it's because of the, this history, these forces that are way beyond you, you know, have nothing to do with you except for they do. And they are going to make it your problem in the most personal way possible. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's fun to read, but like, I'm like, oh man, sorry guys. Sorry that you don't get to enjoy watching this happen. You have to be the one in the middle of it. Yeah. So Samari, I wanted to make sure that you were on this episode for sure, because 
I know how much you dig into the fandoms that you get into, and it's the the little details and the little nuts and bolts that that really get you involved. And that's the same with me. And so that's why I want to make sure you were here. And I love hearing your thoughts on it. Yes. Thank thank you for waiting for me. Yeah, no worries. Um, any other grand thoughts to the timeline? Just that uh, when Amazon decides to do uh, all of the spinoff shows that uh, we should get Tam in basic training. I want to see that show. I, I think the, the Tam story would I think everybody wants to see the Tam story and I can tell you, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm keep muting myself cause I'm coughing up a lung over here and, and trying not to let it show on the podcast, but, uh, <clears throat> it's finally coming through. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the Tam story, uh, this is, this is one of the great sadnesses of my life. Uh, Robert Jordan at the time he died, um, said that he had plans for a few outrigger novels for for a couple prequels and a couple sequels to go with with this and one of those was the story of tam and we never got that so yeah you're you're not alone in in hoping to get some of that well rafe's a good writer i'm i'm okay with that yeah yeah i would be i would be okay with uh, rafe telling us that story as well we do get to spend some more time with Dael, do we not? Um, another group of people that I would really like to know more about. Yeah, I can't wait to meet their them. history and their culture. They remind and their me of society. Yeah, they remind me of Airbenders if they weren't pacifists. You know, <laughs> like I, I really want to see what happens. Um, get to know them. Yes, we we will spend some time with the Aiel. Um, as, as I've said previously, that's going to be my absolute favorite part of the entire series. So expect a whole lot of squeeing and a whole lot of squealing and expect to suddenly be in on so many in-jokes when we get there. Perfect. I will say that one of the things that, you know, all kidding aside, that one of the things that I find beautiful about this kind of history is the fact that even when it's not told, um, when telling a story and having this kind of history for your characters to draw on, the fact that an author or a creator has created such backstory will inform the characters going forward whether or not you ever learn it as a reader. Yeah. Just the knowledge in the writer's head that, oh, yeah, this guy survived the Trolloc Wars. Oh, dang. You know, the, that, that kind of stuff doesn't need to necessarily be in there it needs to be in the writer's head or the creator's head. Or in this case, I think the actors have a beautiful resource to draw on from this kind of knowledge of knowing their, the history of the land helps them create a character that survived that history as opposed to our history. And it's lovely when creators are able to do that. Yeah. And, and I want to point out this timeline that I just gave you, I was hitting high points like I had to filter out so, so, so much. Like th there is so much more to this actual history than, than what I have told you. That seems a given from what you've told us about Jordan. So, yeah. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the, just having all of that weight of, of even fake history behind everything that's going on just makes it feel that much more real as it moves forward. Um, all right. I think that that's probably going to be enough for the history lesson. Uh, let's move into some other stuff. 
I, something I was thinking about this last week and I wrote it down specifically because I wanted to bring it up with you guys and I brought it up with Madeline and she said the same thing. So I know it's not just me. And, and this is just something that's making me very, very happy. Um, when we first started this podcast, you guys knew nothing about this, this world, this show. True. Knew, knew nothing about the show, uh, nothing about this world, nothing, you know, you, you didn't even have the the words to say what you didn't know kind of thing. And, and, you know, I, as, as the season went on and now at this point, it's like, now you're using the in-universe terms. You you understand this universe. You're bringing up ideas that I hadn't even seen before. It's just like seeing all of you, that shift happen so quickly and seeing these, suddenly having all these friends that I can geek on that level with and they'll actually understand me. It, it's yeah. amazing. And I love watching it. And I love the fact that you guys are just that into it already. It, and like I said, I didn't just say this. Madeline brought this up as well. So, well, I, if I may, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If I may, one of the things that I would say is I don't think you chose the people for this panel purely out of the idea that we had never seen the show before. I think you also tried to find people that you, with your knowledge of the series, mm-hmm. thought would enjoy it. So I think you did a good job of picking people. A lot of people recommend like, oh, you totally need to read this book. And then you read the book and you're like, no, I didn't need to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't seem to happen I, I for anybody you put on this experience. panel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you, you picked people that you felt would enjoy the story and especially especially when given the chance to kind of go over it with each other and everything and, and explore it with each other it, it, you you picked correctly i think yeah. and thank you for well, bringing us along bringing us well along. i i would say i picked everybody on the panel because i thought that they would really enjoy the story except you dw Really? Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if you would enjoy the story or not, but I know that you like stories. Oh, yeah. Period. Yeah. And I know that I like talking with you. And that was enough. <laughs> um, huh. I, I wasn't I like, sure you were going to get into the story as much as everybody else did, but I did. That, that's interesting. <laughs> and it's still, the funny thing is, is it still might have been an interesting podcast if you had one person who's like, well, I don't like it or something. But I, I don't want to be the same. I'd hate to be the one guy on the podcast like, oh, this sucked. But um, no, I'm, I'm glad I did like it. I'm glad I can join in the conversation in that way. And uh, no, that's that's interesting to learn. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, um, we had talked uh, about, or I specifically def- had talked about in one of our episodes, uh, wanting a virtual reality Tarvalon to walk around in because we can tell that there are 3D assets of that out there somewhere. Yes, please. I, I, I think Amazon is listening to us again. Woohoo! Because yep. while it's not full VR, they they put out this augmented reality phone app that allows you to put a put a, a, a mirror drawl in your kitchen or a trollic in your bedroom and you can look at them and and uh, look at the island of Tarvalon and get up close on the white tower and look at the details and it's not quite what I requested but it's close enough I'm gonna take the win on this one I'm gonna say Amazon's definitely listening to me and they're putting this out so you're welcome. To everybody out there who is enjoying that app, 
Yeah. There's probably an intern specifically assigned to listen to us yeah. and yeah. probably a couple <laughs> other podcasts. <laughs> Their entire job is to keep tabs and report back. Yeah. That being said, um, Amazon, if you're listening, um, Idris Elba for Ravine. That's all I'm saying. Just, just make that one happen. Thank you. Okay. I don't know who Ravine is, but Idris Elba for everything, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one day on the set for all of us. Yep. 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 No, no, yeah, there, there we go. Put it out there, you know. And I, I would also like a unicorn, please. Um, just, <laughs> I'll, accept, I'll accept uh, just cash, you know. No, yeah. Unicorn's pushing it for me. Cash or unicorn, either way. You know, <laughs> unicorn or cash equivalent. I, I'm good either way. What What is the uh, unicorn to U.S. dollar ratio? <laughs> <laughs> Who runs the market that measures that? <laughs> well, in Wall Street, the unicorn's up today. <laughs> Yeah, invest in unicorn futures. Um, <laughs> Bitcoin started out just as imaginary, so you never you know. know. Oh, so, so we need to make unicorn, is what you're saying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no. And a little bit of an edit there with a recording mishap, but uh, we're going to go right into mailbag. Uh, we've got a couple mailbag for this week. So first, we've got uh, Amy in New Hampshire. Uh, she says, Hi, everyone. Hi, Amy. Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. Uh, she says she was just listening to episode 13 when we were discussing who Keanu Reeves should play. Uh, she wants to suggest Andral, which means absolutely nothing to any of you. So, you know. Fabulous I choice. Say, yeah, that, that, <laughs> I, he would be. Thank I don't you. Know. You're I, absolutely I correct, Amy. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I think he might make a pretty good Andral. We'd have to see. Um, uh, and then she said it might be a nice nod to have Pavara played by Carrie Ann Moss which also means absolutely nothing to any of you. Uh, but continuing on, she says she loves listening to us all. Uh, she's a longtime Wheel of Time fan, and she started listening to the books back in the, or started reading the books back in the 90s. Uh, she read the first few books over a dozen times and the last few three or four times, which, frankly, a lot of us who were book, book lovers did. We would reread every book as each new book came out. And so you've, you've read the first book way more times than you've read the last book at that point. Um, Says she loves the Amazon show. Uh, she watched it when it was released with her husband, who read the books years ago. And though he hasn't done a reread since the last book came out, um, she watched the show again with her middle daughter, who is a non-reader, but she got to start on book one. And she's now currently watching with her oldest daughter. Uh, not sure what she's going to do after that for the next year until season two comes out. But... Uh, she also says us longtime book fans are familiar with the long waits between books. And all I have to say to anybody who's complaining about waiting till season two, you didn't have to wait. What was it? Four or five years between some of those books. Oh yeah. That was brutal. Um, anyway, she says she found our podcast by Ruark. Me. That's me. Hey, I'm Ruark. Uh, sharing a link in one of the wheel of time, Facebook groups. Um, she doesn't remember which one, cause there are a lot of them and I'll agree with that. There are a lot and they all run together. Um, she just wants to say we're all great. She loves the show and uh, kind regards. So uh, Amy in New Hampshire, thank you so much. Thanks for the letter. Thank you. Thank you, thank Amy you. and daughters. And I'm going to be looking out for those characters now so I can uh, picture the Keanu Reeves, Carrie Moss link. And we've got another one. This one's from uh, Andrew. Andrew says, hi, everyone from the Wheel of Time Watch Party podcast. Hello. 
Hi, Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. He says, you didn't get mail last time, so I figured I'd write you so you weren't sad anymore because we were very, very sad <laughs> two weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> um, Andrew's got so he says, funny story. One of our first emails was from a listener named Seth, who mentioned listening to you reminded him of discussing theories with his friend. Well, Andrew is that friend. Uh, as soon as he heard that, he had to ask if it was if he was the one who sent the email. And sure enough, it was him. Uh, he says, uh, hey, friends, don't let friends not know about podcasts. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Busted. <laughs> uh, so he has a few comments and questions for us. Uh, the first a comment about the experience. Uh, he was the person who, who introduced Seth to the books. And uh, like he got to see with him as he first read the books, there's something special about getting to share something you love with somebody new. He says, Ruark, I really appreciate your underlining joy as you get to do this exact thing. And I get to live vicariously through each of you as your group gets to experience something I love for the first time. So thank you. Uh, in many ways, the series has been a way for me to experience the Wheel of Time for the first time again, and that was not something I realized I needed. This series, both books and show, means so much to me, and just the fact that it's getting made has brought literal tears to my eyes on multiple occasions. And I can say, you're not alone. I've, I've, I've cried over this many times myself. Um, second, he says, uh, I want to ask the group about their sense of intrigue when it comes to the world. The Wheel of Time is a series that millions of people have gotten caught up in and love for a few decades now. It's an obsession for us. So I want to ask them, what's, what level of obsession with the series on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being an I am an Aiel dancing the spears, and one being I don't want to hear about it because I'm a brooding two rivers boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what number is I just sat through an hour and a half lecture on <laughs> Willingly on a Sunday, sitting through a two hour history lecture for a fake world that doesn't exist is, is all the answer you need. <laughs> I, I know for me, I want to all be right. learning more. Um, we are holding back because of the premise of the podcast and, and keeping ourselves pure for the podcast, but if we didn't have that, probably all of us would be diving deep into lore, research, anything we could get our hands on, definitely reading the books. So it's it's a nine or a ten for me for sure. I would have hyperfixated a long time ago. Oh yeah. Easy. Yeah. Which which I've said several times is why I wanted you on this podcast, Samaria, because I knew you were just gonna latch on so hard. Um anyway, back to Andrew. Uh he says third. I know that the series has been somewhat controversial for book readers. There have been a lot of changes, and I've personally had several moments where I thought, I don't know about this, as my initial gut reaction. It's only been after thinking about some of those things that I've grown confident in the series. Do you believe the quality of the series will win skeptical book readers over eventually, or are they the lost ones? Um, I'm going to say I don't know, and I, I don't know that I care. If 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 – the show is not for you, then you don't need to watch it. That's fine. Um, you know, don't, don't hate on it and don't, don't tell people who enjoy it that it's, it's not for them. But, you know, I say if, if somebody doesn't like the show, that's, that's their right and their opinion and they're wrong, but that's their right and their opinion. Um, <laughs> As uh, judge John Hodgman likes to put it, people like what they like and that's okay. Exactly. 
Um, and finally, this is a question for me, Ruark. That's me. I'm Ruark. Will I be auditioning for the part of Ruark in the series? Um, if you can get me in touch with a casting director, absolutely, I will. That that I mean, I I don't have the uh, the resume or the acting chops or the the physical build any longer or the the uh, ability to throw a spear around like I used to, but I'd still audition for the part. Absolutely. Um, actually, funny story related to that, um, that I'm going to roll into a teaser. So once upon a time, I had said to myself when I was younger, if they ever make a movie out of this, I'm going to play Rand. And I made sure that if they ever tried to make anything, I was going to find out about it. And I was going to audition to play Rand. At some point in time, my, uh, my now spouse said, hey, they're auditioning for the role of Rand in downtown Salt Lake City. And I said, what? And she said, yeah. So I left work. I went to where this was. I auditioned for the role of Rand. And I'll tell you, I was already at that point 10 years and 50 pounds too big, too old and too big to play Rand. I did not care. I was not going to let that that pass me by. What it was for was for a fan film. I did get a role in that fan film. It wasn't Rand, but I did get a role in that fan film. And at some point in the future, I'm going to make you watch that fan film. And we're going to react to that. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I'm into it. Oh, so who did you play awesome. in that so, film? Um, angry man in crowd or something to that. <laughs> I, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but All yeah. Right. Will I be auditioning for the part of Ruark? If I can, I will. I won't get it, but you know. I will put me. forward that if they give you an audition, I will come to your town and sit with you and work with you on the role, get your audition up to scratch. We'll do some lifting, get to where you need to be. I will help you get that role in any way I can. <laughs> and he just finishes up with uh, sincerely Andy from Missouri. And uh, Andy from Missouri, sincerely, thank you. Thanks for the letter. Thank you, Andy. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, and with that mailbag, I think it's time to start wrapping things up. Um, we just want to say thank you, like always, to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Michael and Jen. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, you too. And as always, thank you to Jordan Rennells. He was with us on our last episode. You heard how awesome he is and how awesome he does mixing our episodes. So thank you so much, Jordan. The Great job, Jordan. wizard. Thank you, Jordan. Jordan, Jordan. And this has been a Watch Party Podcast production. Final question from our panel. Uh, Axel, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Okay, so if you were to be in a fan film of The Wheel of Time, of the characters that we've encountered so far, who would you want to play? Starting off with Ruark. Uh, who would I want to play? Ooh, um... I think uh, loyal. I think I I, I think that uh, the the most uh, obvious response at, at this point would be that uh, because of of the depth of my voice and and the height of of my tallness and and the fact that I have much knowledge of of this world and and because I I, I enjoy sharing that so much with so many people 
that that loyal son of Errant, son of Holland, <laughs> the 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 Ogier from from Snedding Sofu, would probably be my choice. Sounds good, uh, David. I would pick Lan. I don't have the build for it, but I'd practice hard. Siobhan? I'd be the woman from uh, Two Rivers who throws down with the Trollocs. Um, I would go in for Swan, but they would cast me as naive. <laughs> I do know this in my heart. <laughs> awareness is an important aspect, yes. Uh, I think I've already uh, showed this hand. It would be Tom. It right. would be Tom. I want, just so that I could steal the coat. Right. Um, <laughs> <from whatever laughs> um, no, in all honesty, every aspect of him is also what I put into my acting. Uh, the singing, the, the, I love his dagger play. I love how he plays the character and is kind of a little shady, but then turns out to be there and have your back. It, it's kind of my favorite character, my favorite. Um, yeah, well-rounded is what mm-hmm. I want to play. Right. And for me, I think I would go with Pad and Fane. That, that Ooh, seems appropriate. He'd be a great Pad and Fane. I now want to hear the speech in the halls from you at the end. <laughs> Yeah, the everything must be balanced. Speech, yeah, Ra- I, radio playtime. I, play I, I can totally hear that coming out of Axel. Absolutely. <laughs>